Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on Fubar Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Politics Uncensored. I am Ali Milani here at Fubar Radio, and we have a big, big show for you today. Lots to talk about. Um, things are moving. We are headed. We are definitely in an election year, uh, and that means that we have uh, lots of movement in terms of policy and political. Uh, announcements. Um, the first big news of the week uh, is um, not so much in the Westminster political bubble, uh, but a, a royal story that broke, uh, and that is that King Charles uh, has been diagnosed with cancer, uh, and you're going to be uh, hearing uh, probably a lot uh, around the royal family uh, and the treatment that he is receiving, so no doubt everybody will be wishing him um, the best uh, of health uh, in his treatment. Uh, but we've got lots of other stories uh, to talk about today. Primarily, we're going to be focusing the show on a new poll by the Labour Muslim Network uh, that has found that 43% of Labour voters intend on staying with the party uh, since 2019, with 23% of them being undecided. Sakir Starmer's favorabilities were at minus 11%, uh, and it has been called a crisis point by Muslims uh, across uh, the party. We're going to be talking to Sundar Katwala, director of British Future, and Murad Qureshi, former member of the London Assembly. They're going to be joining me later on in the show to discuss this topic. But before we get to that, we are doing the week unwrapped and that is where we discuss and react to the biggest political stories of the week and joining me in the studio we have deputy leader of the green party zach polanski zach thank you so much for joining us how are you keeping zach i'm great thanks for having me how are you doing keeping well thank you so much for joining us and before listen it's very easy for my first questions for you today uh, as you will have seen and no doubt i'll be reacting to and that is that labor is set to announce the end of a 28 billion pound green pledge uh, of investment this was uh, a sort of frontier main announcement made in 2021 by say keir starmer and the leadership um that that kind of pointed to the party's future in terms of green investment and jobs and economic growth uh the party is expected to roll back on that and say as it's a result of economic changes uh, it comes after a plethora of u-turns and policies that have seen the bin what's your reaction to um essentially the pulling of the plug of this policy my reaction is what is labor thinking this should be the most basic measure to be able to promote this is ultimately investment both in our planet and in our society if you take retrofitting for instance upgrading people's homes that's a triple win reduces bills reduces emissions and creates good green jobs now labor's argument has always been there's no money left or our fiscal rules but they refuse to tax the wealthy. They talk about a cost of living crisis, but this is actually an inequality crisis. There are multimillionaires and billionaires who are doing perfectly well, and Labour refuse to talk about taxing them while saying they won't protect the planet. This is shameful, and they deserve to be called out on it. So I think, um, you know, a former senior Labour advisor, Andrew Fisher, has been, he was on Sky News yesterday, and he was talking about, let's talk about this policy properly. Uh, and that was, this isn't a £28 billion a year well, first of all, it turned into £28 billion a year, and then it was by the end of the parliament, and then it turned from a pledge to an ambition, and now it's gone altogether. But um, the idea was this is an investment. So as a result, we will see transitions to renewable energy, we'll see jobs created, more likely to see economic growth as a result. Um, how important is it? I mean, the, the, the economic times might be difficult, but surely this should be seen as, as something that will encourage growth, encourage jobs, and encourage the economy as opposed to you know, just money that we're that we're spending that we'd never see anything back from. It's crucial. I'm not suggesting anyone spends this money, you know, because it's a nice to have. This is absolutely necessary. And by the way, the twenty eight billion pounds in itself wasn't nearly enough. But you know, that was for some people a reason to still vote Labour, but actually they've abandoned even that last pledge. So just a few months ago I was at Port Talbot in Wales and we've seen since then thousands of people lose their jobs. This is a moment where we should be talking about a just transition. And all I mean by that is making sure there's jobs in green jobs for renewables, for making sure that we're essentially protecting our society and giving these people these good jobs. But you can't do that without investment, without investment in that technology. So this feels like Labour Party are not only abandoning the workers in terms of they're not supporting the trade unions like they should have traditionally done, but they're also abandoning the workers in terms of their future and the future of, of how we're all going to survive. So 
there is no measure that the Labour Party have played this well. They've handled this badly mm -hmm. from beginning to end, and it just seems to be getting worse. It seems, the rumours seem to be that the reason that this has been done is that Labour want to make themselves sort of election-proof, where the, the Tories can't have anything to beat them over the head with coming into an election. Do you have any sympathy for that, that they're just focused on power and the only way to get power is to make sure that the Tories don't have a stick to beat us with? I've got no sympathy at all. If you are in politics just to gain power, then actually when you've got power, what are you going to do with it? And if we're seeing the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, bow down to right-wing pressure and Tory pressure right now before he's even in power, what's it going to be like when the heat really gets turned up? And I think more than anything, I think this is demonstrative of, you know, we had Ed Miliband, there was a tweet doing the rounds today where he says, we are committed to this 28 billion pounds. Me, Keir and Rachel will, will never let this go. And here they are just letting it go. Now, naturally, at this point, I'd say if people want a party that will stand for environmental justice, that recognises there's no environmental justice without racial, social and economic justice, too, that's the Green Party. Labour are just making our job easier. So just as we have spoken, uh, we, we've we've got a breaking news that that's. Labour leader Sakir Starmer has confirmed that this pledge will be dropped. Uh, he has said in a statement that due to the Conservatives crashing the economy and the Chancellor's decision to max the, out the country's credit card, it would not be possible to reach its previous commitment. So that's essentially saying what we anticipated and that, that it's a, you know, the, the reason for this pledge being binned uh, is because of Conservative mismanagement of the economy. You've got no sympathy for that. I, I, I want to ask more broadly on, on, on green pledges and the climate crisis. We're headed into an election in 2024. Um, if 99% if of global scientists are to be believed, we are also hurtling towards uh, climate catastrophe. We're pretty much already there in terms of um, the impacts of climate change around the world, from, from famines to heat waves to, to mass um, weather changes around the world. We're likely to see... Um, millions if not billions of refugees as a result of the climate crisis yet we have a political establishment in westminster that just won't talk about climate how you know what's your reaction to that as a green party it seems you're the only party that really you know labor had until this pledge but there seems to be a consensus that we just don't talk about the climate yeah, so I've literally just come from a meeting with the London Fire Commissioner and he was really clear that in the last couple of years they've had more phone calls for the London Fire Brigade than in their busiest time since World War II because of wildfires and floods. Those are direct actions of the climate crisis hitting us right here at home. And of course it's for people who are least resilient and most vulnerable who are going to face the effects worse. So if people's homes are flooded, if you're very wealthy, you can build defences. If you're very wealthy, you'll have insurance. But obviously, most people in this in, in our society don't have those options. Now, if you look internationally, this is amplified so much more. Places in the global south where people who have done the least to cause the climate crisis are facing these worst effects. And we hear anti-migrant rhetoric from both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party in this country. We should absolutely combat that rhetoric anyway and make humanitarian arguments for immigration. But if they really don't want refugees and migrants, then they need to get on the climate crisis quick because actually nothing is going to cause more migration and more displacement than the climate crisis, which is ramping up. And we already have, you know, civil wars in places like Syria, which arguably are an after effect of the climate crisis. Often they're about scarcity of resources, about drought, about um, mass heat. And we're going to see more and more of this as time I mean, goes on. I mean, on Syria, we must also mention there's that little thing of the brutal dictator. Well, Assad, but, uh, no, yeah. no, absolutely. But the dictatorship is being allowed to flourish in a space where there is not enough resources to go around. Because I, mean, of the I guess Pakistan made. is another one you could look at, right? A third of Pakistan was underwater at some point uh, in the last couple of years. Large parts of Pakistan have become uninhabitable as a result of the heat as well. Those people are going to go somewhere. And I would agree with you on the discussions around refugees and migrants, but they're certainly going to come here in the future if we don't tackle this crisis. Yeah, and I'd go a step even further because I hear what you're saying on Syria, but even if we look at the horrendous things that are going on in Gaza, it is not an obvious climate effect. It is a very obviously uh, Netanyahu out of control with a, with a malicious and awful occupation. But actually, fundamentally, it does come back to resources about people grabbing resources and uh, fundamentally capitalism on steroids. And so when you hear Keir Starmer talking about growth, 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 and you've got Liz Truss uh, tra uh, trashing the economy, but now Labour accusing Liz Truss of trashing the economy on the same ideology that they're pushing, I'm not linking what Keir Starmer is doing to brutal dictators, but it is all part of the same system that puts growth over human lives, that puts capitalism over humanitarianism. And ultimately, we need parties who are challenging these narratives because these are big narratives and we should not accept the status quo. And so, I mean... We've had lots of criticisms of Labour and the Conservatives. What would the Greens do? 
uh, on the climate crisis. Yeah. So ultimately, it's about recognizing that this is holistic and ultimately this runs through every option. We need a Green New Deal and we need to make sure that we are putting this investment in. I've already spoken about retrofit. I, th I think we rank amongst the bottom of certainly the G7, but across Europe in terms of investment in renewables, investment in general, actually, in our yep. public services and others, but investment across renewables, we're nearly rock bottom uh, in the G7 and across Europe. And interestingly, we were doing really well for about 2012 to 2013. It suddenly looked like we were going to be leaders on things like solar and, uh, and tidal. But then David Cameron famously said, let's cut the green crap. That meant ultimately and scared everyone from investing because why would you? And then we really got lagged behind. We know from lots of research that's left thousands of pounds mm -hmm. on people's bills. So, and we should, I mean, but forgive me for, look, by no means am I a climate expert or a scientist in this, but, you know, just common sense. It's not much of it in politics these days, but common sense. We're an island. We should have massive advantages when it comes to green investment, right? From tidal to wind, for example. There should be some natural advantages that comes with being an island in the United Kingdom to be able to invest in renewable energy. Without a doubt. And also, we could be proud of, of being those global leaders or at least showing leadership on that. And by the way, these things aren't about sacrifices necessarily or giving up things. This is about cleaner air, more cohesive community, tackling the gender pay gap, the disability pay gap, the ethnicity pay gap. All of these things can and should be done and people can vote for them. And ultimately, the Green Party vision is looking at a society where we radically transform our economy. It's about fundamentally, fundamentally as soon as you accept this inequality mm -hmm. crisis and the fact it doesn't have to be this yeah. way, then and that's how you change so things. So you've, you've spoken to me about um, the Green Party's plan for a Green New Deal and others. We're in a general election year, so I would be amiss if I didn't ask you, what's a best case scenario for the Greens in the 2024 general election? So we're looking to win at least four MPs in places like Bristol Central, where we've got Carla Denyer, um, uh, Brighton Pavilion, where we're looking to hold with Sean Berry, North Herefordshire, where we've got Ellie Chowns facing mm. a Conservative there, and Adrian it, Ramsey and Waveney Valley. So in Brighton, you're losing Caroline Lucas. How big of a loss is that for you? Obviously, she's amazing, and she's been incredible in politics. And at the same time, I think the party in the country is at a crossroads, where one million people in the past have voted Green, and we've got one MP. It oh, has been... let, let, let's just talk about that, because honestly, I don't think people appreciate... Right how ludicrous our electoral system here in the UK and is. And 30,000 for a Tory, I think, or so something like that. So, per vote, yeah. so the Conservative Party, double-check these figures if yeah. you're listening at home, I am saying it explicitly on air that these these numbers aren't exactly right, so don't at me later, but <laughs> per MP, it's something like thirty to 40,000 votes for a Conservative MP and a million votes for one Green MP being returned. Absolutely, and I think actually one of the shortest returns on investment, so to speak, is the SNP, but credit to the SNP, who massively benefit from the unfair voting system, but still say this is ludicrous and we should have a yeah. fair voting system. But ultimately, the bigger point is this as well. The media, whenever there's a green story, anything to do with environmentalism, goes straight to Caroline Lucas, and that fundamentally is not sustainable. We need to be growing a team, different people, more marginalized voices, and making sure that we get these people mm -hmm. elected and representative. So Caroline Lucas has done incredible work, but it's a legacy that needs to continue and grow. And you think you're going to hold on to Brighton? Yeah, I think so. I think we're not taking a single vote complacently, mm -hmm. and we will be out there campaigning. In fact, I'm there just this weekend. I'll be campaigning with Sean Oh, nice. Gary. So you're hoping for four MPs in the general. You think that's going to happen? Yeah, that's absolutely the minimum at what we're I don't want to be Piers Morgan here, but will you take out... I don't have a thousand pounds. You take a hundred pound bet with me that you'll get four MPs. Well, I do everything in politics to talk about the harms of gambling. So for me to Very place a bet there would be pretty, you know, pretty horrendous. We spoke, we spoke, <laughs> we, before we had you on, uh, we, we, we discussed with the producers as to whether I should do the bet joke. Um, and I said I would because I, I had every faith that you would answer it in the way I expect a politician sure. of any moral standing. We should also talk about standing. cryptocurrency, which also is very yeah. problematic. Rishi, if you're, if you're listening, mate, <laughs> that's how you answer a betting question. Let's um, let's move on to the next story. So four MPs, it's very interesting. I'd love to have you on close to the election and after to see, to see, what, to to see what happens. Um, so on Rishi, uh, he's not only facing calls to apologise for the bet, but facing calls to apologise after joking about Labour's position on trans people when the mum of murdered teenager Brianna Gay, who was a... Uh, a transgender person was in Parliament during Prime Minister's question. Mr. Sunak ridiculed Sakir Starmer for you turning on, quote unquote, defining a woman. Number 10 said it was legitimate to question the Labour, Party, Labour leader's position. But Brianna's father, who is among the people who has called for an apology, said the PM's comments were degrading. So this is pretty shocking. Uh, you know, our politics, I didn't think could get any lower. But a Prime Minister making a joke in the House of Commons in front of the murdered uh, mother uh, of a transgender person. Uh, and joking about defining a woman. How horrific is that to see? I mean, there's almost no words. Trans people are among the smallest demographic in our society, yet are facing relentless media um, outrage against their very right and existence uh, to live. We hear scare stories and being a gay man, it's not lost on me. 
how much this um, is paralleled to what was going on with Section 28 and the toxic narrative around at that time. Uh, to put politics in very lightly, I don't think Keir Starmer gets a pass on this either. You know, there's been plenty of, of uh, questionable comments from the Labour Party that he has just waved by, not just on this, but mm -hmm. Islamophobia, by the way, as well. But for the prime minister of the country, which, you know, it doesn't get much more significant in terms of your platform, to joke about this and to think them of all people are the butt of a joke is an exact demonstration of how this government punches down and thinks that the most vulnerable people in society are just playthings for them. So I, I wondered, you know, there's been a large discussion. I've been interested in it in that obviously this is particularly disgusting and disgraceful from a prime minister given that the Brianna's mother was in the House of Commons at the time that the joke was made. I think that's a distraction though. I think, yeah. yes, that's horrendous, but ultimately so this the is joke what, should never be made. Well, this is what I was going to ask because this this jibe about defining a woman has been made back and forth at the dispatch box. Yeah, and as if no one ever watches TV or listens well, to Well, it's all broadcast live, right. right? So, you know, people are outraged now, but surely they should have been outraged when it was said again and again over the past 12 to 18 months. Yeah, people shouldn't even be making those jokes in private necessarily. I think ultimately if if that is your idea of a joke or that's where your humour lies, then there is something mm -hmm. seriously wrong in your life. How, I mean, how worried are you as a politician, you said as an openly gay man, about what could potentially be a pretty nasty culture war style general election? Um, I mean, as a Muslim, I'm terrified about what, what's to come, right? And the kind of narrative that's going to be um, put on display by the Conservatives, potentially reacted to by the Labour Party. Are you concerned about the, the, the heat that could come with the general election? I'm highly concerned, and not just as a gay man, as a Jewish man as well. I yeah. think you know, anyone who comes from any minority group can hear the kind of toxic rhetoric and narrative that has often been stoked by the Conservative Party. The really interesting thing about a culture war is fundamentally, it's not it's not victimless. There are people who are suffering. It's just often yeah. they're not in the room. What was really interesting about Prime Minister's questions is because the mother was in the room, Kirstam, uh, sorry, Rishi Sunak is now being pushed to apologise to her. But of course he can't apologise to her if his narrative is to be believed because he's done nothing wrong because he says these things all the time yeah so we see these narratives and they're just spiraling and i think and it's i really like the point about it's not victimless because whenever politicians make these comments like we we've spoken about being a muslim being a gay jewish man anti-semitism anti-lgbt hate crime islamophobic hate crime all shoot up when politicians make these comments so they have a responsibility yeah definitely and not I, just when the people are in the room yeah absolutely and i i hold myself to a higher responsibility with that and i think all politicians should that if you have the platform and you have a literal microphone to speak, then of course you should be measured in your comments. Now that does not mean uh, being wet, it doesn't mm. mean not making a, a strong argument or a robust argument, but it does mean when it comes to respecting basic human rights, that's the lowest possible bar. Mm -hmm. And both Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer at times have failed yeah. to put it and I, I, look, it's, I've, I think we've seen it all around the country and in the world actually, when politicians run out of things they can say that they can do, run out of ideas and a vision, and when they get desperate, often they attack the most vulnerable people in society for their own political gain. I think that's what we're seeing here on this. You know, we're going to continue on the story. Um, or this theme um, and and look to a new poll that was released by the Labour Muslim Network this week that showed that Labour has much work to do in retaining support amongst Muslim voters. A senior party figure has said that the poll suggested the party had lost a portion of its vote uh, amongst the Muslim, uh, amongst its Muslim base, uh, particularly over its handling of the Israel-Gaza war. 43% of British Muslims who backed Labour in the 2019 general election are willing to do so again, with 23% saying that they are undecided. Uh, what's quite key to that um, is the Green Party has attracted significant support, a bump of 9% amongst Muslims. Um, what's your response, A, to the poll showing a serious crisis amongst the Muslim voter base with the Labour Party? 86% of Muslims voted Labour in 2019. That's down to 43, with 23% being undecided. Um, some people like to take that out. I think that's ludicrous to take out undecided, but um, so I'm not going to. Um, but a significant so a response to that first, and then we'll talk about the Greens. What's what's your response to Muslim voter reactions? Yeah, I think a few things. I think obviously I'm always positive when people want to join or get involved with the Green Party. However, you know, so I'm absolutely not disingenuous. It's under horrific circumstances, and I'd much rather people wanted to join the Green Party because there was a good positive discussion and debate, and people felt that that's where my home is. I think in the Green Party, we've got a huge amount of work to do. Um, I think one of the uh, misconceptions of the party is it's very white and it's middle class. And I often hear people say there's no diversity in the party. Yeah. Now, I know. Can I, can I tell you something? Before sure. I joined the Labour Party, I was at university. I remember being sat on my couch 
with my flatmates. And we were talking about politics. I, you know, I was a politics student, but I kind of, you know, I was in my young radical days of uh, fuck all the parties, this sort of stuff, right? And my friend told me to join the Green Party. He was like, it's outside main. And I was like, they're so white, bro. Like, they're never going to take me. Um, and that was my perception at the time. I obviously joined the Labour Party. I'm glad I did and engaged and became a councillor and parliamentary candidate, still a mem- party member and proud to do so. But that was my perception at the time as, as, as a sort of brown Muslim that the Green Party wasn't for me. Probably shifted a little bit. I think Majid Majid, the Lord Mayor, yeah, yeah, had a huge influence in that. But what you're saying is right. Yeah, and, and so um, well, I think we always need to be careful with this because I sometimes say there's no diversity in the Green Party and I can think of plenty of black councillors, Muslim councillors who yeah. are doing amazing work. I'm sure there is, yeah. And yeah. I think when we say there's no diversity, what we're doing is discrediting their work. However, it's also true in the exact same breath. We have a lot more to do. And ultimately, I think as deputy leader... I see that as my number one job. So in fact, this weekend, I'm going to be in Manchester. Uh, we're going to be launching a new Muslim Greens group. Um, this is ultimately, uh, we're going to be having a meeting about what's going on in Palestine, but it can't just be meetings. It can't just be people stepping forward and being candidates, mm-hmm. although that's part of it. It has to be a deep embedded commitment yeah. to uh, marginalized groups and to the causes that they okay, care Okay, I have about. a quick, a couple of quick fire questions. We're, we're running over, but I've, I've really enjoyed having you on. I, I enjoyed so, being on. So a lot of Muslims listen to this show um, and... Uh, we'll be curious about what, what the Green Party has to say. On Israel-Palestine, which seems to be one of the main important things, 85% of Muslims have said it's important and how they're going to vote. Labour Party, uh, The Green Party, does it back a ceasefire, an immediate ceasefire in Gaza? We were the first party to call for a ceasefire. I've called for it ever mm-hmm. since. We also want to ban arms trades to Israel and I've spoken as have the leadership on many Palestinian mm-hmm. solidarity marches. And recognition of Palestine unilaterally, regardless of a peace negotiation? Yes, absolutely. Within the same breath as well, we do need to release the hostages and you know, a ceasefire does mean on both sides, but I think it's yeah. clear that Netanyahu had disproportionate power yeah and i think everybody uh, hopefully agrees Absolutely. that the release of the hostages have to have to be involved in that as well lastly nothing to do with this but we, we've come to the egg of the segment and like i said i've really enjoyed having you on are you going to stand to be an mp uh, i'm not basically uh, we have our four target constituencies and i have to run around all the other constituencies supporting those right. candidates so i think i'm much better place supporting other greens to become mps but maybe one day oh for sure okay brilliant <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much that's zach polanski deputy leader of the green party joining me uh to talk about the week unwrapped and some of the key issues from the 28 billion uh the pledge that's been abandoned by the labor party to rishi sunak and sakir starmer muslims and others we're going to stay on the story of muslims and this new poll by the Labour muslim network showing a collapse in the labor vote um and we're going to be joined next by sunder ketawala director of british future he's going to join us to continue to talk about the story after this fubar radio present so we have got the incredible Sunita. How does Sunita whittle down the people she wants to talk to to the people she doesn't? What's your criteria? Well, you've got to be an adult. Um, <laughs> okay. That's always a good start. Always a good start. But when I'm an adult, not just like 18, you've got to be like not young enough to be my child. Um, <laughs> you have to ideally be London-based, because I am. Yeah. Although I don't mind if you've got a country pad, that would be nice. So at the minute we're going with age and location are important. Age and location are good. Every Friday from 6pm. FUBAR Radio. Welcome back. This is Ali Milani on FUBAR Radio at Politics Uncensored. Uh, we've just had... Uh, Zach Polanski, leader of the deputy leader of the Green Party, joining us to talk about the week um, unwrapped and some of the key stories. And we ended on a new poll from the Labour Muslim Network, which has found that only 43% of British Muslims who backed the Labour Party at the 2019 general election are definitely willing to do so again, with 23% of them being undecided ahead of the next general election. Keir Starmer's own favourability has dropped by 4%, uh, by 4% um, since 2021 and now sits at minus 11%. It comes at a time of heightened tension over the party's response to the war in Gaza, with 38% of British Muslims saying their view had become more unfavourable to the Labour Party over the past 12 months. Sakir Starmer has faced huge pressure from the party grassroots left and the pro-Palestinian campaigners over his initial refusal to back an immediate ceasefire. Joining me now is uh, Sunder Katwala, Director of British uh, Future. Sunder, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you can hear me okay. What's your initial reaction to this poll? I think it's I think it's good to see Salvation and the Labour Muslim Network producing some research on this topic. It's a, a much debated issue, I think, uh, and it's a representative poll, and that's good to have because there've been other surveys that aren't that aren't representative. I think it confirms what a lot of people have been saying, which is that Labour's got challenges with Muslim voters in particular. I think Labour's more popular with the electorate generally 
than it was in 2019. Here we've got one of the largest minority communities in Britain and Labour appears to be going backwards, not forwards, losing quite a significant proportion of voters, others uncertain. So there's certainly a challenge there for the Labour Party. How big of a challenge do you think it is? Because I've seen in a, a quite an extraordinary Times article uh, this week with uh, one commentator saying that you know, Labour should just ignore Muslims and lean heavy into its current messaging and that can, it can afford to lose the three million or so votes that come with Muslims as long as it's strong on security and other things and the kind of current policy it's going down. Do you think Labour could afford to, to, to lose the vote in its entirety? I think, I think that, you know, no minority group, even a large minority has got a veto over who's in Downing Street. You know, elections are won with votes across communities. The Muslim vote has been a strong part of the Labour electoral coalition as of other black and Asian and ethnic minority votes. That's going to get more, more challenging. Um, in the 2024 general election, Labour has the advantage, unless other things go wrong, that they're up with the electorate generally maybe 8, 10, 12 points generally. So in that sense, even a very significant uh, loss of British Muslim voters of a scale mm -hmm. we saw, say, in 2005 after the Iraq war, probably wouldn't make that much electoral difference. But I think it would be a mistake to see this only through an electoral lens. We're talking about a very young community, a very politically engaged community. We're talking about people engaging with politics in the first time. This next general election isn't the only general election the Labour Party will want mm -hmm. votes in. They'd, they'd be, you know, they might be needing more younger votes, votes in the inner cities, you know, if they're trying to get real. Oh, I, I, wanna... I also think we should see this about community relations. We should so we're going to, about... yeah, we're going to touch that community relations point. in a second. Um, but I, I want to stick to the electoral question first before we go to the, some of the communal and moral arguments, which we will touch on, I promise. Um, from an electoral perspective, I mean, look, if the 23% undecided, who so I think are quite key here, don't return to Labour and vote elsewhere, whether that's independents popping up in different constituencies, or they go to Zach, who was just here with me, the Green Party, or indeed to any other party, um, then, you know, it might be true to say that given Labour's strong position nationwide, that they may still be able to walk into government. But Muslims are amongst, you know, 3 million Muslims, they're sometimes quite highly concentrated so if you're an mp let's say in east london or in leicester or in birmingham or in bradford or in batley are you not massively anxious about this poll because while it may not affect labor nationwide a dip anywhere near what we have seen might seriously hurt your chances of returning to parliament i think labor mps are worried about it i think labor councillors have a lot more reason to be worried about it than Labour MPs, but I think there might be quite a significant impact on votes. I would calculate that maybe one in 12 Labour voters at the last general election were Muslim. It's a large part of their vote. Even if they lost um, a third of those voters, I don't think it will cost them um, half a dozen seats next time unless they have a much bigger meltdown in the opinion polls, which might happen by the end of the year. And the reason I think is this, that I think there are three seats that are majority Muslim, and there is the possibility for the kind of effect you saw with once with George Galloway and Bradford and once with George Galloway and Bethnal Green in those three seats. But in the next 30 seats down, I don't think there's a strong contender this time, the Green Party, the Liberal Democrats, the independent candidates, that is going to win the vote across communities. The Labour MPs should work hard for Muslim voters and for other voters, but I can't quite see how in a place like Rochdale, somebody's going to defeat the Labour Party unless they're doing incredibly well with both the third of the electorate that is Muslim and with um, white British voters and other mm. voters. So I think where it will matter more is in SNP Labour marginals in Glasgow, in one or two Conservative seats such as Peterborough or Wickham or Uxbridge or Harrow, where there'll be a very marginal seat with quite a lot of diversity of different kinds if labor's down a quarter of its muslim vote it could lose them a marginal well this seat. this this poll is suggesting twenty thousand. this poll is suggesting much higher than a quarter of its vote it's suggesting it could be anywhere between depending on if yeah. if undecideds aren't removed which i see no reason yeah. why they should be um then it could be down significantly as much as yeah. half of the vote yeah I also think people exaggerate the overall number of voters, and I hope the media will start to get this right. I think there were 2.2 million Muslims 
eligible to vote in the general election. We know there are three point nine million people, but obviously a lot of those people aren't um, aren't eighteen yet. So with with a average turnout among Muslims and other groups, and the vote staying up, I think we're talking about one and a half million votes being cast. And Labour, if they weren't losing any voters at all, would be hoping to get a million Muslim votes. And I think they could be losing three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand votes on this kind of poll it's a lot of votes and i think that could be a massive mm -hmm. issue for them so one of the one of the key constituencies for example for in the general election so one of the key i think you're right in terms of marginal constituencies one of one of the key questions for example is ilford north i think which is west street and seat where 27 percent of the constituency uh, are muslim and if they and they have a 5,000 majority that might be a really really tight race um if you know labor were to lose between you know, a half of its vote, uh, maybe a little bit less. In Uxbridge and South Ryslip, where I stood, I certainly couldn't have afforded to lose half of my Muslim vote, for example. So could it be not just in seats that have, you know, a majority Muslim, but really tight seats, this might become a problem? I think that's right. I think it will be in seats like Uxbridge, much more where it is an issue. I think I think one thing that, as I say, you know, Labour should worry about the socialisation of young people. It should worry about this election, the next election, it should worry about mm -hmm. local elections. I think one one place where I think they're fortunate at the moment is the Conservative vote is splintering in all directions. So while, you know, 30% of people voted Conservative in Rochdale, 30% of people voted Conservative in Batley, a splintering of the Labour vote would let the Conservatives in if the Conservatives were holding mm -hmm. on to their vote. Okay, let's so let's I think it's not impossible that things will go worse for Labour on, yeah. on broader fronts, but I think I think they've got to think about this yeah. as a community relations issue. And, and I think look, uh, one of the things we should also bear in mind that this is a poll right now and the war is continuing in Gaza and Labour's Labour's response continues and things could move in any direction. They could continue further down or they could improve if Labour's policy position as far as Muslims' perceptions are uh, could improve. I want to now move on to I think what you're right and I'm glad you've raised it cuz politics isn't all about electoral questions, it's about the morality and the community element as well. The reason 86% of Muslims voted Labour or have supported Labour is for the longest time not to homogenize an entire community, Muslims have largely felt comfortable and safe in labor hands. That certainly seems not to be the case anymore. How much of a communal problem is that for an entire community that might now find themselves politically homeless? Well, I, I think I think it is a challenge. I, I don't believe the 86% number, which there are the technical reasons why ask people how they voted in 2021, in 2019, don't work. More than 1% of people voted Liberal Democrat in 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 2019 but labor's tended to have probably 75 80 percent of the muslim vote under jeremy corbyn it had 65 percent in 2010 i think what's interesting about the labor muslim network surveys is is they show that this didn't start with the uh october the 7th and the palestine issue correct there yeah. is a 2021 survey which shows that there was a dip in 2021 as well now, yeah to, to, to some extent i think i think it's good that labor should have to work harder for ethnic minority votes and for Muslim votes in this century than they did in the last century. I think the British Muslim community is one of the most politically active, politically engaged ethnic and faith minority communities you'll find anywhere in Europe. I think it wasn't very present in the political system at the time of the Iraq War. People forget there was one Muslim MP in England uh, in 2003 when the Iraq War broke out. So I think one of the reasons this is more challenging is we've got a much bigger presence in parliament in local government i think a lot of younger muslims are now saying but what's the point of having 50 20 mps if parties don't do what we want should we support independent candidates i think that's part of the democratic system you know you want i think all parties to want your vote and for not to have some parties thinking you're out of reach and so on so i think i think labor will be made to sweat and you know there'll be independents there'll be greens there'll be liberal democrats the conservatives used to be trying to get muslim voters under david cameron i think they've gone backwards as mm. well so um i think there's a do you think that's at all possible where... do you think conservatives have an opportunity i mean their policy has been much worse on gaza or, or about as bad um do you think there's an opportunity yeah. that they could step in or no I think I think the Conservatives have actually been picking up more Bangladeshi, British Bangladeshi votes for a while now than British Pakistani votes. But where David Cameron and Saeed Arasi, I think, were very much saying we want to appeal to all minority groups and we want to work well. I think the Conservatives have created a lot of new baggage with Muslim voters in the last five or ten years, things like the Zach Goldsmith campaign in mm -hmm. London. So they're very much flatlining on a on a tenth of the vote. Yeah. And of course they, they even they refuse to say the word Islamophobia. 
I hope we don't get into a position where the Conservatives think there are some minorities who will vote for us and some minorities who won't. I'd like to see the Conservatives trying much harder with British Muslim voters and black British voters. I just think that the low political ebb they're in and, you know, I think they haven't been attentive to anti-Muslim prejudice in their own part. I mean, Nazgani, the Conservative uh, Muslim MP, you know, was very clear that she'd faced, you know, uh, discriminatory language right at the top of the party. So I hope the party will get back to what it was trying to do under David Cameron in a domestic policy. Mm -hmm. On foreign policy, you know, I think both parties might be balancing their position a bit more. Britain has a pretty weak voice in terms of its level of influence over the Israeli government compared to maybe the United mm -hmm. States government, which is also... But I mean, look, one of the things Muslims will be saying right now is, for example, Labour reversed its position on the recognition of Palestine unilaterally, which was in the party manifesto previously. So Keir Starmer came out and said that it would only be recognised as part of peace negotiations. And it seems like the Conservative Foreign Secretary, Lord Cameron, went even further than Labour would uh, by saying that they could potentially unilaterally recognise Palestine as a way to get peace negotiations moving. So it, it seems like, you know, in certain areas, Labour has even been outflanked by the Conservatives on this issue. From a, from a national and international perspective, I think it would be good if both of the British parties were very clear about the two-state solution being something that has to be a necessary practical plan beyond the war. I think what is difficult about the calls for a ceasefire, which people are perfectly entitled to make, is that the voice of Keir Starmer or Sadiq Khan or David Cameron or Rishi Sunak, they could all say different things their level of influence over the conflict itself with the Netanyahu government, I think, is very, very limited. But the question is one of values and morals. And I think that's one thing that Muslims are saying is it's it's first of all, you know, there's a question about level of influence and, and what can be done. I mean, certainly what you could not do is what you could do is is help the, the support in providing aid. But what Muslims will want to see is that the, the, the thousands of lives, 10,000 children, over 10,000 children now who have been killed, they'll want to see that their politicians want to see an end to that. From, from a values perspective? I think, yeah, I think it's really important to work for um, an end to the conflict and for... So it's not meaningless uh, to call for a ceasefire is what I'm saying? No, no, it's not, it's not meaningless. I just, I just think that the level of influence of British politicians mm -hmm. on the Middle East is not, yeah. is not zero, but it's very low yeah. on this particular Israeli... And so, Sander, I just want to ask you one last question before we go. I'd be interested in your perspective on... Look, there's no doubt, I don't think anybody in the Labour Party now doubts that there is a problem uh, with its relationship with the Muslim community. We might be able to debate how big the problem is, though I don't know why anyone would at this point, but we might be able to debate that. But there's no question that there is a problem. If you were to advise the Labour Party to improve its relationship with the Muslim community, what would you say? I think it just has to get out there and engage, even if it's very, very difficult. I think the worst thing for the Labour Party to think, and maybe some people are thinking it, is, well, it's very tough right now. We'd better wait till things calm down. I think they've got to take on the heat of the issue and show that they're there to engage people in the lay party who've you know called for a ceasefire and haven't persuaded other people have to explain why mm -hmm. they're still in the party you know one of the rumors uh Sunder, one of the rumors i've heard and um i don't want to give it too much airtime but i've heard enough of this rumor to be concerned about it is that there's a concern in westminster that appearing too close to muslims provides others to think that you are soft on security or you have a security problem vis-a-vis -vis terrorism do you think that's a potential problem in westminster no, I think I think you know there are voices you know on the right of the right wing party. Maybe there are some you know voices you know in the Labour Party as well who take that view. I think the Labour Party you know in this polling um, is polling low low with Muslims that it has, but as high with Muslims as it is with other parts of the parts of the community. If it's getting 45, 50, 60 percent, it it needs to value every vote and every voter. What I think is going on here is a massive generational shift where some older voters are still loyal to Labour by habit, even when they're um, unhappy with the policy. But they haven't got a relationship at all, I think, with the 18 to 24 year olds. And what I would advise Labour to do is to start to build relationships with people who haven't inherited this sense that the Labour Party is their party and is always on their side. That was a very strong view of the first and second generation i think younger people don't have that and so i think labor at all levels just has to do the work of politics and engage when it's mm. difficult and have the courage to do that
Okay, thank you. That was Sunder Katwala, Director of British Future, joining me uh, digitally to talk about this poll. We're going to continue talking about it um, and some of its findings. Now, let's remind you of some of those numbers. And that's the, the poll done by Salvation has found that 43% of British Muslims who backed Labour in 2019 will definitely do so again, with 23% of them being undecided. That's down from 86% according to a 2021 poll. Sakir's own favourability, the leader of the Labour Party, sits at minus. 11% lags far behind the party overall which was at plus 24% the party itself is down by more than 20% party identification is down by 20% 38% of British Muslims say the party has become more unfavorable to them over the last 12 months and a staggering 85% have said that the Israel-Palestine conflict will make a significant impact and is important to how they will decide to vote. This is after a Gaza invasion which is now seen over 25,000 people killed, 10,000 of whom are children. Joining me next is Murad Qureshi, former Labour member of the London Assembly, uh, who was actually a member and comes uh, from my part of the world in Kilburn. He'll be joining me after this. Fubar Radio presents Access All Areas. Mark from Married at First Sight UK. See, at the wedding, you told Sean you were 26, but you're actually 36. So drop in that decade. We ain't gone one or two years either side. What was going through your head when you thought, I'm going to knock, I'm going to shave off 10 years. A third of your life. (laughs) It was instant reaction. As soon as anyone says to me, how old are you? I'm like 26. I just stopped counting after 26. Would I have told him? Probably not. Ever? Well, maybe when we're 80 years old and we've got the grandkids running rounds. Except like, you wouldn't be 80 years old. You'd be, you'd be 90. Yeah, you'd be 90. I'd be 26 still. <laughs> I'd be going around the corner for some more injections. Politics on Censor. Joining me now, the former leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, MP. And there you are stood with hundreds of thousands of people at Glastonbury singing know Jeremy Corbyn. What is that like? It was quite extraordinary. It was an amazing experience and I was very pleased we did it. Um, we wrote the office, we got very excited about Glastonbury. Every single person in the office thought it was necessary for them to be at Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. Every single one said yeah. it was really necessary yeah. Yeah. come. The dating show. I'm friends with uh, a fair few exes and, and I think you can be friends with an ex but yeah, I, I genuinely do. But I do think that he's Timing is everything with that. Well, it, I think it depends what you cast as a friend. Yeah, Are you I talking mean, about, you know, someone you're going to hang out with on your sofa? Like, if you've already shagged, you know, isn't that a bit weird? Or is no, it I weird? think that's a different level of friend. Uh, I think that's a different level of You can be friends with someone. You can't be, like, best fucking friends with someone. I mean, I've got exes that I talk to about their current partners and, and whatever else, and they'll tell me about that sort of stuff. But I wouldn't say, oh, do you want to come over for fucking Chinese and chill on the sofa? You're listening to Food Bar Radio. Welcome back. This is Ali Milani of Politics Uncensored. And joining me now is Murad Qureshi, former London uh, Assembly member, Labour Party member. Um, and he is going to be talking to us about the new uh, exclusive poll done by Servation showing a collapse in support um, from British Muslim communities to the Labour Party. Uh, Murad, thank you so much for joining us. Um, tell me, first of all, your initial reaction to this poll. Uh, it shows a serious decline in Muslim support for the Labour Party. Um, everything from party identification to how people are going to vote, all of that seems to, to have taken a hit. Are you surprised? Well, thank you for inviting me, firstly. Um, not surprised because we've been here before. Uh, I'm old enough to remember 20 years ago when I first stood for the London Assembly uh, in the midst of the Iraq war, one year in, and one year in we were getting a sense of where it really was. Uh, None of the weapons of mass destruction were found. There was huge amounts of uh, fatalities, collateral damage. And I think the parallels are very similar. Um, I saw it in my neck of the woods uh, very clearly. Um, and I think what we found in that election, the 2004 London uh, GLA election, uh, with Ken Livingston as our mayoral candidate, he made it quite clear what his position was. Um, and it didn't really affect him because everyone knew where he stood. And I think similar, Sadiq has similarly done a, s- a similar thing by saying right from mm-hmm. the outset he's for a ceasefire. He, he was for a ceasefire. But I, d- I do think it did affect the, the assembly, the, 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 the vote right across town. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, it was so, actually... Uh, 
I wonder if you can take us back there because okay. I'll be honest with you. As yeah. well, you know, no, no. I don't remember the Iraq War. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit too young for that. Yeah. Um, you don't look like you should remember well, the Iraq War, yeah, but, I, I, I... <laughs> but uh, it had a lot of parallels have yeah. been drawn um, with with what happened then. A huge amounts of anger within the community, yeah. discontent with yeah. labor. Um, you know, I can only talk about what's happening this time. All, all I know is. You know, broadly amongst Muslim communities, I've yeah. seen vitriol, anger, feelings of betrayal. Yeah. Was it like that back then? Well, yeah, I think it was broadly. So I, I remember door knocking in places like Brent's and having the door slammed in, on my face very clearly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'd, I'd never had so many doors slammed in my face since mm-hmm. subsequently nothing like that at all and it was particularly a poignant time yeah. it was also clear and we're seeing images similar to that in Rochdale right now that are coming out well I yeah I don't know too much about Rochdale so I'm very very keen to know what's happening there uh, and also there were actually other national leaders saying saying different things people forget Charles Kennedy was very clearly anti um, anti-Iraq war and mm-hmm. I think it helped the Lib Dems considerably at the time yeah I don't think they've got the same figurehead now uh, but Charles certainly Kennedy, not in terms of charisma. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Charles, and he spoke, yeah, he spoke well and he made his points very, mm-hmm. very succinctly. And, and but they the do have a very. It's very similarly again. They do have a very different position. The Lib Dems have called for a true. Well, I, I, it'd be interesting to see if they can pitch that further. And yeah. also, one of the things, uh, the better things that they have in the uh, in the, the Gaza context, is Leila Moran. You know, Palestinian yeah. British uh, woman. Uh, and I think she, she, you know, she's got relatives in Gaza. Uh, she also. And I don't think I don't think that has ha- that has been without impact because yeah. we're looking at in the. I mean, the poll suggests not just the Labour collapse, but the Greens are up nine percent and the Lib Dems are up five percent. Um, SNP yeah. is also up as well. So. Well, look, that, that doesn't surprise me because I, I think one of the things is yes, look, it does affect uh, the Muslim communities in all the, all the varieties of Muslims you've, we've got, and you know, um, and I do, we're not homogeneous mass. Yeah. Uh, ethnically nor nor religiously whether if there's one core issue that you know we all agree yeah. on is Palestine but so before we get to yeah. that I, mean, I, I want to keep us back in in, yeah. in 20, 2004 door yeah. slammed in your face lots yeah. of anger was I mean there was still a relative amount of success I mean Labour did win the general election but also yeah. you were successful as well was the key as was Ken yeah was the key in differentiating the individual Labour politicians with the party's position nationally that that's interesting. Looking back at it, I don't think we uh, the, the labor part, uh, the labor parties as uh, such had a distinguishing message because mm-hmm. we were you know we found ourselves uh, on the on, on the national picture. Whilst Ken was distinct, he had actually been an independent mayor up until that point mm-hmm. and took on the labor nomination. So people were kind of used to it. I think where it did affect us uh, was yeah, but how did you feeling. how did you overcome uh, knocking okay, on doors? I tell you, that's standing. interesting. I I actually in that election. Um, people like myself and Ken were allowed to say what we what we. Oh, they let you do that. Oh, yeah, that's no, happened no, no, now. No, I'll tell you that much for well, free. No, no, well, no, exactly. Well, you know, I, I do. I, I, you know, I, d- I didn't take yeah. it for granted. I was aware of that, and I was. I, I never had anyone coming down on me. But there was an understanding in the party yeah, exactly, that you could exactly. hold a different position. What's interesting is I had Michael Crick yeah. sat in this chair yeah. not too long ago, and he said the same thing about Blair's era, for example. He yeah. said, "Listen, there was an understanding yeah. that it, we can disagree in the party. Yeah. It's no, okay." No, 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 no. Well, that, that certainly was there, and uh, you know, I was doing the rounds similar to now and I, I no one t- tapped me on the back and said oi Murad what the hell are you talking talking about and what are you saying saying that for mm-hmm. it was quite clear that actually there was scope yeah. to do that from uh, and Ken made the room in some ways because he was saying that anyway right uh, so if they did put hold me in I could say well Ken saying it why, why yeah. can't I so it never never yeah. quite happened there but you're right there was a climate where yeah. different and views of course, were tolerated there is, a, there is a little bit of protection similar to Ken because Sadiq has said it yeah. Anas has yeah, exactly. said it and other exactly. things yeah, so no, on no. ceasefire and Palestinian recognition yeah. and stuff like that some of the major politicians yeah, in the Labour Party have said it yeah. it's just the leadership that hasn't been reflected and that anger comes yeah. from the community and, 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 and thankfully other things have happened I mean I'm you know let's let the world be grateful for what the South Africans have done yeah know? In I the mean, ICJ, yeah, yeah. yeah, and you know, I mean, so you know, it, it, it's gut gut wrenching seeing those images day day in day yeah. out. Many of those. Do you think that's had an effect that people are seeing the images live every day well, coming you know, out of Gaza? I, 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 I certainly know. We've had. I've been door knocking during during, during all this as well, uh, in place in places in in Maida Vale and uh, Kilburn. Represent uh, South Kilburn. Yeah, down, down, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was interesting. You know, we do, we dropped a a, 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 a door. Uh, we've put a leaflet out in Little Venice posh bit of little yeah, yeah, yeah. immediately that afternoon we had an email saying that uh, a couple clearly young professional couple Ralph Crescent 
Very, very expensive <laughs> yeah. bit of uh, Little Venice. Yeah, when I said represent for the audience, <laughs> Little Venice was not what I was talking about. <laughs> but anyway, they, they, they said very clearly in an email to us that they're never going to vote for Labour. Because, on this issue. On this issue. So look, I, I, I think, that, that, yeah, I, you know, that it, people may emphasize the Muslim aspect to it, but don't think this is only... Oh, it's not just Muslims. Muslims. It's yeah, not just yeah. Muslims. So tell me it's about some... Of, yeah. Let's fast forward now. You yeah. talk, Tell me about some of the stories on this. You've been door knocking. Have you felt it come well, back? Yeah, no, that, that's an example. Yeah. You know, and well, whilst we didn't have face to face contact, we all were doing put a flyer for But it. what about any Muslims? I'll give you an example. Yeah. I'll tell a story. First time on air, yeah. I've told this story. I went to a press screening of a, of a film. I won't talk about what film because it will give away <laughs> lots of things. But, um, and everybody knows I'm yeah. a Labour Party member. I was yeah. a candidate, councillor, and I'm a Muslim. Yeah. And I had two different, quite senior Muslims come up to me and go, what the hell are you playing at? Why are you still in the mm. party? Why do you persist? These guys are Islamophobic, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm yeah. getting called sellouts and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's the sort of stuff we have yeah. to contend with. Are you getting that sort of thing? I had had that in my local gym in Porchester. I said someone tapped me on the back. I expected to resign. You know, I said uh, I, I'm completely off guard. Yeah, and I'm pulling my weights <laughs> and what have you. Yeah, uh, and on, on the edge of road. I mean, it's no doubt a, a yeah. lot of people. But there's are, the impact that has on Muslims. Yeah, exactly. Muslims. Exactly. I mean, and, and we've got all varieties there, from Sunni Shias. Uh, Moroccans. Oh Moroccans. no, this cuts right yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, it cuts right through. So that—that's the street. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the road. I and has your response been similar to what it was in 2004 and differentiating your position? Well, personally, yes. I see. I, 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 I don't see any problems with that personally. Mm -hmm. And uh, someone's got pulled me into, and no one's pulled me in and said, "Oi, Murad, this time." Yeah. I said, "You're out." Oh, they haven't done that to you yet. I've <laughs> well, had that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, locally in the party as well. I, th I think. Look, I, I think very often these kind of issues, avoiding them is not best way of dealing with them i think yeah. it has to be dealt with internally in the party as much as externally yeah. and, and i think we have to have clear frank discussions the the, the public are for the first time seeing it's not mass slaughter of uh, civilians babies for god's sake i mean yeah just I, images I, of yeah, dead babies I mean, I, and I, you know people under rubble yeah. i mean i there was a bit of public art so i think they did in bournemouth beaches they spread out. Yeah, led the by donkeys, they yeah, did. Yeah, all, yeah, 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 yeah. They've spread out the number of, uh, you know, there were babies killed on October the seventh. Yeah, for those 7th. listening, go and check it out. They what yeah. they did was they they set out, I think, um, baby clothes yeah. across yeah. the beach, and it went for miles yeah. because yeah. The, over ten thousand kids yeah, have been killed. I, I just that really hit home when I saw yeah. that. I, 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 you know, I, I sent it around and on, yeah, on yeah. social media. But I, I think that, you know, that's that's the message we've been having. Yeah, and, and we're not and used to that. We've been talking about some of the electoral impacts. We had it with Sunday yeah. and we spoke a little bit about it with Zach. It's London mayoral election year um, and Sadiq is standing to be re-elected. Now, he has set his position as being significantly differently. Uh, but you've got lots of experience in this area. Yeah. Um, Muslims highly concentrated in London yeah. um, of, I think, there's about four million Muslims are across the country yeah. they're not all voting age and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah, but of a significant number are in london yeah. could it have an impact well look i, I think sadiq will survive I, um I, I think the tory candidate is so bad Christ, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah i mean he's got to uh, he's got to, to beat her even though they've changed the rules first past the post etc can you talk to just explain that a little bit we've gone from first past the post to what well previously oh we've gone to first uh, past yeah, the well, post yeah, yeah. Well, no, previously you had first and second preferences yeah so your uh you could uh, say for example you could put uh, your first pre preference as sadiq and then someone else yeah where or you could put a green as your first preference and exactly, Sadiq as second. Exactly. So yeah. that's where it comes in. So, for example, last time uh, when he was up against Sean Bailey, it was actually quite close. Another shit preferences. candidate. Yeah. <laughs> the Tories don't take this position seriously anymore. Why don't they? Because I, I don't they won it with it. Boris. Well, I, I don't understand it, but that's for them to sort out. I mean, you thought it couldn't get worse with him, and now they've sent Susan yeah, Hall, is it? Yeah, and Christ, yeah. don't give her a microphone. Actually, give her a microphone, because <laughs> that would be all the campaigning for Sadiq. You're, you're right, and she'd probably help uh, do wonders for the campaign. Yeah. The, uh, Susan, you're welcome to come on the show and contest this <laughs> but the, the um but yeah um and and the, the second preferences of the greens and lib dems did come over sadiq impact, yeah. last time and it was quite clear yeah he's, he's made a pitch for them i telling them you're gonna have to vote for me for um first uh, for yeah. your first preferences to me now because of the system who's change. made that change the assembly no it wasn't it was something the tories did in right. the national government i i find it extraordinary i mean Londoners were just getting used to that idea, and now yeah. suddenly they're going back to first past the post. So you think Sadiq will be fine? Is that so, largely yeah. because you know he set out his position differently? Well, yeah, I think he himself true. is yeah. Muslim, which kind of helps. Well, I, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's playing. The, you know, he has to play an interesting game where it will have impact. I'm I'm afraid. I think we may Labour may well lose a few assembly members. I, that happened. You think in, so? Yeah, yeah, it happened in 2004. 
um, it could happen there because the overall vote will come down. Yeah, so and there's going to be an impact. Yeah, it's going to be an impact. I mean, for example, I mean, if you look at the East End where, where we had the solid block votes in places like Tower Hamlets, Newham, oh, no, no chance. Yeah, uh, Redbridge, yeah. Barkley and I, I can't see it. I, you know, I, I, it's not my end of town, but all the messages I'm getting yeah. uh, um, from, from, from that end of town is quite clear. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I know more about what's happening there than certainly Rochdale. Right, yeah. Um, and, um, and, and that will be their first opportunity. Yeah, and, uh, uh, and lastly, I mean, the time has flown. I mean, yeah, again, really enjoyed having you yeah. on because it's really interesting to hear. Mm. I mean, everybody talks to me around the Iraq war and I nod <laughs> and smile, but genuinely I was like four or five years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, that's not true, like six or seven. But um, so lastly, look, I asked under this and I want to ask mm. you, you have a huge amount of expertise and knowledge and experience. Mm. There are Labour people that listen to this show. I know yeah. that. It's people in Lotto. What advice would you give them to try and mend this relationship with the Muslim community? Well, look, I, I think they've got to look very clearly at what's happening out there. Yeah. Uh, I find it very difficult that um, we're, 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 so sh we're, we're not being more critical of Netanyahu. I mean, yeah. he's, he's thrown out the two-state solution completely. He, he, it's quite clear. Yeah, I mean, his, his ambassador to the UK did that yeah, very explicitly. And, and I think that's... that's yeah. We've got distinguish between the different types of Israeli governments that there could be there. And the yeah. present one is not working towards a two-state solution, never has been. Mm -hmm. And he's made that very clear. I mean, they've, and clear. they've also rejected in its entirety um, the, the ceasefire deal yeah. today. Um, which um, which is really, really significant. Uh, Moran, I'm going to ask you to yeah. stay because um, I'm really okay. interested beyond this topic okay. uh, over the next segment. And this is my favorite segment, and it's uh, one that we have every week or okay. most weeks. Uh, and that is Wide on the Street. And that's where our wonderful producers head to the streets of central London to find out what people really think. Mm -hmm. And our question this week okay. um, is, Rishi Sunak has placed a £1,000 bet with Piers Morgan that the Rwanda scheme will be up and running by the end of the year. Uh, I tried that with Zach, didn't quite work. So the question we asked audiences was, what's one 2024 prediction you'd confidently place a £1,000 bet on? I think England will win the Euros. Yeah, we'll go against France and we'll beat them this time. I'm thinking Tories out by the end of 2024. It's been too long. I think people are sick of them. And I think their time's up. I don't know if Labour with Kia or what, but I think we'll have a Labour government by the end of the year. My prediction is that Tom Holland and Zendaya will get married. My prediction for 2024 is it's going to be a very, very tough year and I'm so glad I'm not in business anymore. Prince William will become the king. My prediction is that Prince William will be in charge of the country by the end of the year. Take from that what you will. <laughs> not necessarily, I don't think the king's going to die, but I think Prince William will take over and he'll abdicate. Uh, I think Kanye's going to have a baby. I don't think anyone can predict a name that EA is going to come out with because it's all just crazy. He'll just think of something, wait, flower, just say some random name. <laughs> what an eclectic group of people. First of all, I really thought people had killed off the king and I'm glad I had the abdication because I don't know what yeah. they know that I don't yeah. know. But we had a wide variety of stuff. Yeah. I mean, Zendaya and Tom Holland get married. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. just face right through that. Um, there were predictions that the Tories would be gone. Uh, what's your reaction to that, Brett? Well, I can't see any other um, conclusion if, when a general election happens. The, the thing I'm really fearful of is, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, we're nearer to a world war in the Middle East than we realise. Oh, you really think so? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm not a pessimist by nature, but I, I just think that all, all the things that are happening there from Yemen to Iran yeah, yeah, to Syria. Just, it just, yeah, uh, yeah, and it just needs one small thing, thing going wrong, and you know, and and you know, we we've had general um, retired generals talking about um, uh, conscription and things like this. It yeah. just make, I think I don't think. How uh, would you fare in the army? Well, well, me I'd personally, fucking, I'd be fucking oh, awful. By <laughs> the way. Personally, <laughs> personally, I think I, that's when I'll claim I'm a pensioner. Yeah, but you know, can but, I? But, yeah, what what yeah, age do you have to be to be? I'm a pensioner well, up, now. It's, it's up to sixty, but no, yeah. for young for young men. No, you know what issue. I could do. It's, a, it's an issue. For, I mean, for the generals listening, yeah. and when they when they bring yeah. in conscription, I can host the radio show <laughs> of <laughs> the army. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, good that, morning, Vietnam gets replaced with good morning, Tehran. <laughs> uh, Murad, <laughs> I've got a minute left okay. with you. Uh, what's what your one prediction? I'm not going to put a £1,000 bet on it. Um, what's your, I don't have a £1,000, but what's your one prediction for 2024? 
It could be political. It could be non-political. Manchester be United is not going to win the Premiership. All right, let's cut his mic. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. That was Murad Qureshi joining us, former London Assembly member, joining us uh, to talk about, amongst other things, um, the collapse in support from the Muslim community to yeah. the Labour Party. But I'm just going to put the mic down there because he started to talk bad about Manchester United. Murad, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed having you on. Thank you to everybody listening. Um, we we have had a really good show today. We've, we've spoken about a number of things. We had Zach Polensky on, deputy leader of the Green party and he spoke to us about the 28 billion pound pledge labor's dropping of that the green party's reaction i tried to get him to bet with me as per piers morgan it seems he has more sense than than, than the prime minister does uh, he also spoke about um potential outreach from the green party to the muslim community as well we spoke about this poll uh, around the muslim community we had um sanda katwala director of british futures and we talked about a little bit about the electoral poll and morad Qureshi uh, gave us a little bit of background about what had happened uh, in the past, back in 2004 and five, which I am far too young to remember. I still like to think of myself as young, but sometimes I look in the mirror and these gray hairs are getting more frequent. But that is the Labour Party. I want to thank all of our guests and listeners for joining us for what has been a brilliant show. You can go back and listen to all of our previous episodes on Apple, on Spotify, and on all good podcasting platforms. You can follow us at Fubar Radio on Instagram, Twitter, or X, as Elon would like. By the way, Elon has gone off the rails. I've got 10 seconds here, but this guy is Lex Luthor reincarnated. I've called it here first. You can follow me at Ali Milani UK on Twitter, Instagram, and I have a TikTok now, so go and follow it there. Join me next week. Thank you so much. Salams. <laughs>